The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 5, of Providence, Paragraphs 6 and 7. As for those wicked and ungodly men, whom God as a righteous judge for former sins does blind and harden, from them he not only withholds his grace, whereby they might have been enlightened in their understandings and wrought upon in their hearts, but sometimes also withdraws the gifts which they had, and exposes them to such objects as their corruption makes occasion of sin, and withal gives them over to their own lusts, the temptations of the world, and the power of Satan, whereby it comes to pass that they harden themselves, even under those means which God uses for the softening of others. Paragraph 7. As the providence of God does, in general, reach to all creatures, so, after a most special manner, it takes care of his church and disposes all things to the good thereof. We read in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31 that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As we hear this verse, Often preached and stated, we immediately think of the final judgment. We think of that day when everyone who has ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and some on the right will go away to everlasting glory, and some on the left will go away to everlasting punishment. Truly, on that day, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But what we don't often think on is the reality that God, in time, today, right now, is bringing his judgment to bear on the sins of those who have turned away from him. Truly for the wicked, today it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This section in the Westminster Confession of Faith explains to us how God providentially brings his judgment to bear in the lives of the wicked here and now in this present evil age. R.C. Sproul says that this is perhaps the hardest and most controversial section in the entire confession, and he states that its teaching can be summed up by saying that God gives people over to Satan to be exposed to his manifold temptations, and God does not just allow these things, but he positively ordains them. Difficult teaching indeed, but nothing less than the teaching of Holy Scripture. Paragraph 6 of this section begins by saying, 
As for those wicked and ungodly men whom God as a righteous judge for former sins does blind and harden. Here we see that in the lives of the wicked, God exercises a ministry that both blinds them and hardens them to his truth. Lest we want to charge God with being unjust, the confession makes it clear that our God is a righteous judge and he blinds and hardens the wicked and ungodly for their former sins. This is not a vengeful, wrathful God who is pouring out his judgment upon people willy-nilly. This is God who in time is providentially pouring out his judgment on the wicked and ungodly, those who have sinned and continue to sin against Almighty God. He blinds them and hardens them against the spiritual truth that he proclaims in his word. When the gospel is preached, they do not see a need for it and they are hard against it. When godly men and women are praying for their conversion, they despise this reality. They do not believe they need to be converted. They do not appreciate the prayers of the saints. Even now, God as a righteous judge for the former sins of the wicked and ungodly men and women of this world blinds and hardens them from his truth. We see this in the word. And in Romans chapter 1, in verses 24, 26, and 28, we see this truth outlined. Paul says, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Here, God gives up individuals to the lusts of their hearts. They are blind to the truth about God and they worship the creature rather than the creator. It is for this reason, says verse 26, that God has given them up to dishonorable passions. It is for this reason that their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and that men likewise give up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. The scriptures are clear that God has handed these individuals over to the lust of their hearts because they have been blinded to the truth about God. They have believed a lie. They worship the creature, not the creator, and they have not sought fit to acknowledge God, and therefore God has given them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Paul continues this thought in Romans 11. He says, speaking of national Israel, What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, says Paul in Romans 11 verse 8, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. We see here that God's judgment here and now extends to blinding and hardening the hearts of the wicked and ungodly. This is God's righteous judgment upon them for former sins, and God gives them up to the desires of their hearts. The confession continues by saying that just as God has given them over to the desires of their hearts, blinding and hardening them, that he also withholds his grace from them, whereby they might have been enlightened in their own understandings or wrought upon in their hearts, or in other words, that their hearts would have been worked into shape by the grace of God. We see this in Deuteronomy 29 and verse 4, where Moses says to the people, 
To this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. God blinds and hardens and withholds his grace as an act of judgment upon the sins of wicked and ungodly men and women. God's providential judgment in the lives of the wicked continues. And the confession tells us next that sometimes God also withdraws the gifts which the wicked had. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 13 and verse 12 says, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The Lord repeats this teaching in Matthew 25 and 29. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. God's judgment upon the wicked extends to gifts and talents being removed from them. And we see this often in the lives of those who oppose God. We hear tragic stories about individuals who were once incredibly talented, individuals who once had a lot of money or a successful business, but after falling into sin of some description, these things seem to just slip through their fingers. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And here we have seen God's providential judgment in the hands of the wicked, even removing from them the gifts that they once had and which they once enjoyed. Indeed, God exposes the wicked to the things that often make matters worse in his sight. And the Westminster Divines give us two biblical examples of this. In Deuteronomy 2 and verse 30, we meet Sihon, the king of Heshbon. The Lord has deliberately guided his people to his territory so that Sihon would refuse the Israelites' water. His sin is made greater through the providential hand of the Lord. And in 2 Kings 8, verses 12 to 13, we meet Hesiel. And he asks, why does my Lord weep? And he answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses, and you will kill their young men with the sword, and dash in pieces their little ones, and rip open their pregnant women. This horrific scene is unfolded for us by Elisha the prophet. And Hesiel responds, What is your servant who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? To which the prophet replies, The Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. Hesiel would be king over Syria, which would lead to murder and massacre of the Israelites. God sometimes exposes the wicked providentially to things that make their sin worse, as he brings about his temporal judgment to pass. As the sinner sins and it seems to get worse, they are under the judgment and wrath of Almighty God. And if only they would repent, if only they would flee to him, then that judgment would be lifted. Their punishment would be satisfied by Christ at Calvary. But they are hard against God. They do not want him. They despise him. And so they grow harder and harder against the Lord. And indeed, the Lord providentially gives them exactly what they want. Paragraph 6 tells us that this handing over is to their own lusts, the temptations of the world and the power of Satan. Once again, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Many today mock and scorn the Lord. 
Many today believe that he does not exist, that there will never be a reckoning, there will never be a judgment. But even now, many are under the judgment of God, and they do not know it, and they do not want to know it. In Psalm 81, the Lord says, My people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. And in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 10 to 12, the Apostle Paul writes that there were those who refused to love the truth and be saved. And therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they would believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. These words should cause the wicked to quake and it should cause them to run to Jesus. Sadly, all too often, this does not happen. They have rejected the Lord. They have followed their own counsel. They have pleasure in unrighteousness. And so the Lord withholds his grace from them. He withdraws the gifts that they once had. He exposes them to, he exposes them to various objects which make them sin all the more. And he hands them over to their own lust, the temptation of the world, and the power of the devil. What an awful situation. It is that the wicked find themselves in. And it goes without saying that the Lord cannot be held accountable for this. The Lord has not made these individuals sin. He merely withholds from them his grace and they sin and delight in sin and more sin just as their own wicked hearts desire. And yet even amongst the wicked the Lord has a witness. Every single Sunday there are those who gather in the churches all across the land who do not know Christ and who do not love Christ. They sit under the word of God and even if it is not preached very well, the word read clearly is such a blessing and a privilege. They can be in fellowships that many people pray for them continually. And indeed, they could live in a town like the one I serve in here in Northern Ireland, a little town called Balnahinch, where there are churches on almost every street corner and scriptural messages posted on boards all across this town. Why is it then that the wicked remain in their sin? Paragraph 6 closes to give an explanation for this. It states that it comes to pass that the wicked harden themselves even under those means which God uses for the softening of others. If you remember that time that you were saved, perhaps it was as you were listening to a sermon preached. And prior to that point, every sermon went in one ear and out the other. But on that particular wonderful day, your eyes were opened, your heart was softened, and the Holy Spirit had done a miraculous saving work in your life. Why then does that not happen for everybody? Why then do we not see a sermon preached on the wicked bending the knee to Jesus? Well, as we see here in this paragraph, the Westminster divines point the finger once again to the wicked. The unrepentant sinner harden themselves even to an extent where the word of God is despised. The preaching of the word annoys and offends wicked sinners. The prayers of the saints are seen as irrelevant and offensive to many. And we see this more and more in society. 
You should not be surprised when your neighbour, who you have passionately prayed for for many years, seems to be so incredibly angry when you try to share your faith. It should not cause you any surprise when a sermon that one person thinks is wonderful causes another person to rage and to ask the question, who does that minister think he is? This is the reality that we read off in these last words of paragraph 6, that sinners, the wicked, harden themselves even under the very means which God uses to soften others. This should not surprise us. It is a scriptural thing. And in Exodus chapter 7, the Lord says that he would harden Pharaoh's heart and he would multiply his signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. In Exodus 8, we see exactly that. And after the plague of frogs had died out, uh, they were gathered together and the land stank. When Pharaoh saw there was a respite, he still did not repent. The scriptures tell us in Exodus 8 and verse 15, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And later in the same chapter, Pharaoh hardened his heart and did not let the people go. Even as Pharaoh heard from the Lord himself, and even as Pharaoh saw signs and wonders in his land, he refused to repent, he refused to do as God had commanded, and he continued the hardening of his heart. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 15-16. to 16. He says to those who are being saved, we are an aroma of Christ, a fragrance from life to life. But to those who are perishing, we are a fragrance from death to death. The wicked, perishing man wants nothing to do with the ordinary means of grace and the things that God uses to soften sinners' hearts. Peter says this, The honour is for you who believe, But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. The one who has been redeemed from his sin loves the things of God. But the one who is dead in sin and growing increasingly hard and wicked towards the things of God will not and cannot tolerate the word and the ordinary means of grace. Friends, I am aware today that this is a sombre and difficult paragraph. I do not make light of it, but I do just wish at this point to say two things. Firstly, if you are listening today as someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, then I pray that you would continue to be faithful in your prayers for the lost and your evangelism. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And even if you believe that your husband or your wife or your children or your work colleagues are so incredibly hard and so far away from God's hand, then please do not believe it. Pray on and proclaim on and strive by all the means of God's appointment to point these friends of yours to Christ. But secondly today, I'm aware that this podcast could fall into your ears via the providential hand of the Lord. If you do not know Christ, then I'm not terribly sure why you would be listening to this podcast in the first instance, but I am incredibly thankful that you are. If you do not know Jesus, if you are hard against him, if you are angry with the things that you hear on this podcast, then my friend, know the dreadful spiritual condition that you are in. Know the eternal danger that your soul is in. And I urge you, 
before Almighty God today, wherever you are listening to this, whether on a beach in Australia or walking down the street in Belfast, if you do not know Jesus, then repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ, for it is a dreadful thing, both in this life and in the life to come, to fall into the hands of the living God. But today's episode, and indeed chapter 5 of the Confession, ends in a wonderfully encouraging way for the people of God, the Church of Jesus Christ. It states in paragraph 7, As the providence of God does, in general, reach to all creatures, so, after a most special manner, it takes care of his church and disposes all things to the good thereof. This is a short paragraph, but a wonderful one. Nevertheless, it makes it clear that God's providence is a general providence, and it reaches to all creatures. The rain falls on the righteous and the wicked alike. But in a most special manner, God's providence takes care of his church and works out all things according to the good of the bride of Jesus Christ. So today, if you know Christ and you're part of that wonderful body, the bride of Christ, the church, then please know that the Lord's providence in a special way is taking care of you and your brothers and sisters all around the world. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are having incredibly difficult days. They live under awful regimes who despise Jesus and want to stamp out the preaching of the gospel. But today we know that if we are in comfort or in despair, the Lord is for the church and his providence takes care of us, working out all things for our good. We see this in Romans 8 and 28. We know, says Paul, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We are incredibly thankful today for God's providence. He is not a God who is distant from his creation. He is not a God whose hands are tied. He is a God who providentially orders all things, who is sovereign over the lives of the church and the wicked alike. Today, the Lord God Almighty is King. There is no one like him. And it is in the Lord that we trust. As always, in closing, here are some questions for you. Question 1. Why, according to paragraph 6, is it important to say that God's actions in the lives of the wicked are not unjust? Question 2. In the opening sentence, the Westminster Divines tell us that God does three things in the wicked. What are these three things and what do they mean? Question 3. We state clearly that God does not make the wicked sin. So why then does the sinner's sin sometimes seem to grow and get worse under the providential hand of God? Question 4. Why do people sometimes get really, really angry about the gospel and the ordinary means of grace? Question 5. Why is God's providence a general providence? And question 6. Summarize the hopeful teaching of paragraph 7. 
Friends, that's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn. And until next time, this we confess. Mm-hmm.